I plead with you, don't face the future that Jesus himself predicted unprepared. He will make these things happen. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What signs should you look for ahead of the end times? And what does the Bible say will be the events that occur that you should watch for? Then again, doesn't the Bible warn about even attempting to predict when the return of Christ might happen? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom is continuing his current series with part six of The Future According to Jesus. We're looking at Mark 13, at the Lord's own description to his disciples about what will happen in the future that ultimately leads to his return. Jesus promised that his return would occur and described in detail the world events that would precede it. But what are the benefits of understanding these warnings, these precursors of the return of Jesus Christ? And how do they impact your life today? You'll discover some answers today on The Word Unleashed. Here's Tom. The second coming, we come back with Christ to the earth. That's pictured in Revelation 19. And during the millennium, we're here with Christ as he reigns on the earth. The great white throne, we are present but not judged at that judgment. We will already have gone through what the Bible calls the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, the place where believers receive their rewards for their service. We will not be judged for our sins because those were fully and completely judged on Jesus Christ on the cross. And then after the great white throne where we will be present, we will live on a new earth. We are not bound eternally to live in heaven. Revelation's very clear, God will make a new heavens and a new earth, a new universe in which righteousness is at home, and that's where we're destined for. We will live on a perfect earth. As much as we enjoy this one, imagine what it'll be like when all the effects of sin are removed. So that's a biblical ordo eschatos. That's what it looks like for the future in the big picture. Now, In the first section of the Olivet Discourse that we're going to look at tonight, which we just read together, Jesus describes the period that begins with his life and runs to the midpoint of that seven-year tribulation period. And I say midpoint because when you get to verse 14, there's a specific event described that we know from other texts occurs at the very midpoint of that tribulation period. And I'll show you that when we get there. But... That's what the verses I just read for you, verses 5 to 13, that's what they describe, is from Jesus to the midpoint of that seven-year period called the tribulation. Now, with that in mind, let's look at it together. I've called it the beginning of birth pangs because that's exactly what Jesus calls it in verse 8. Look at the end of verse 8. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now that is a very descriptive expression. Jesus is comparing the flow of human history to the contractions that a woman experiences during childbirth. Think about how those are connected. Contractions begin lighter and less frequent, and they gradually become increasingly intense 
and frequent. In the same way, both the natural and man-made disasters that Jesus describes in these verses will gradually grow more intense and more frequent as we get closer to the end. There's another part of this picture, though, and it's that with contractions, a woman's contractions during childbirth, there are times of peace and calm between the contractions, but those times shorten near the end. Jesus is implying by using this image that the periods of peace and calm on earth will become increasingly hard to find as we get near the end. And thirdly, by using this picture, he also reminds us that with a woman, the pain of the birth pangs promises what? A wonderful outcome. In the case of a woman's contractions, a new baby. In the case of the events Jesus is describing, they will usher in his coming and the birth of a new age. So that's why he uses this image. And as we work our way through this first section, Jesus gives us a series of signs. Understand that these signs are signs of the end, but they are not perfectly clear signs. And the reason is this. Although all of these signs will occur in great intensity at the very end, they also occur throughout human history. So when these things happen, Jesus says, don't assume that means it's now the end. In fact, look at the end of verse 7. Jesus says, when you hear all these things, that is not yet the end. Look at the end of verse 8. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, of course, at some point in the future, these events Jesus describes here will mark the end, but we can't know exactly when that is. So what we read then in verses 5 through 13 are, think of it as recurring patterns throughout human history that cannot be used as legitimate markers of the end. They are both signs and at the same time, non-signs. So let's look at the birth pangs Jesus predicts that will occur throughout human history, but like contractions in a woman giving birth will occur in relentless and ever-increasing waves of intensity and frequency as we approach the end of the world, the end of time as we know it. First of all, Jesus says, when he speaks of these birth pangs, he says there will be false Christs, false prophets, and false predictions. First of all, look at false Christs here in verses 5 and 6. Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. Jesus is warning his disciples, his true disciples, not to be misled by false Christs. Many will come claiming to be the Messiah, and many will be misled by their claims. Not true believers, they hear their shepherd's voice and respond, but many others will be. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, the claim of these men is made even clearer. Look at what Matthew says, Matthew 24, 5 Here's how he quotes the Lord. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, and will mislead many. It's interesting. The first recorded false claim to be the Messiah after Jesus' resurrection 
came from a man named Bar Kokhba. He was the leader of the last Jewish revolt in 132 AD. Since that time, one Jewish scholar estimates that since the beginning of the second century, there have been more than 64 men who have arisen claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus also warned of false prophets. In Matthew 24, verse 11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Those who claim to be representing God, but speaking error and falsehood, directing God's people or attempting to direct God's people away from Him. There will also be false predictions. Luke, in Luke 21, in his record of this great sermon, says this, He said, see to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. There's the claim. And their message will be, the time is near. It's the time. He says, do not go after them. Don't follow them. Don't believe them. Don't follow them. Jesus says, just be aware, it's coming. As time goes on, you will hear of more and more people who claim to be the true Christ. Jesus told us, it would be true. There's a second sign that will occur throughout history and with greater frequency and intensity as we reach the end. Not only will there be false Christs and prophets and predictions, but there will also be war. Look at verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You know, it's really remarkable that Jesus said this when he said it. Because when Jesus spoke these words, the Roman Empire was enjoying what was called the Pax Romana, the great period of Roman peace when the Roman Empire ruled the world, the inhabited world in that portion of the Mediterranean. But that peace would soon come to an end. Four decades after Jesus spoke these words, Rome would have four emperors in less than one year's time. And with all of that came an end to the peace. Jesus says, whenever you hear of wars, that is, when you hear about wars that are currently raging, you know, human history is written in the blood of its warriors. Study human history, and it's a story of war a story of battle. Historians Will and Ariel Durant in their book entitled The Lessons of History write this, war is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization and democracy. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. Other historians have estimated that since the time of Jesus Christ, there have been almost 15,000 wars. In the 20th century alone, historians estimate that close to 150 million people died in war. Jesus says, whenever you hear of wars, or he adds, whenever you hear of rumors of wars, Not only when you hear that there are actual wars going on, but when you hear that war might be coming, war might be impending, threatening, soon to happen, don't be frightened. That means don't be alarmed. Don't allow the war you hear about, 
the wars you hear about, or the threat of war you hear about to upset your own emotional peace and calm so that you lose sight of your mission as a Christian. As we sit here tonight, the peace of the Middle East and of the entire world is at a very precarious level. Iran seems driven to to create nuclear weapons. The United States and most of the rest of the world seems determined to prevent that, primarily at this point through the use of economic sanctions. Israel, faced with the possibility of annihilation, is preparing, you've probably read as I have, for a military strike inside Iran. She's even having drills within her country, preparing her people for the inevitable retaliation that will come. These are the events of which world wars are made. The truth is, it is not unlikely that in our lifetimes, our planet will experience another world war. In fact, the image Jesus uses here of birth pangs implies that both the intensity and the frequency of war will increase on this planet. But Jesus says to us, when you hear of wars, when you hear of rumors of wars, don't be frightened. Why? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons not to be afraid. Look at verse 7. He says, those things must take place. Literally, the Greek text says, it is necessary to happen. Certainly that's true because of human depravity. Human depravity always brings conflict and war. But I think Jesus means more than that. I think he's saying, when he says it's necessary for these things to happen, he's saying don't be afraid because this is all part of God's sovereign purpose and eternal plan. Trust him. The world is not out of control, even if it feels like it is. And then he gives another reason, verse 7, that is not yet the end. Actual wars, impending wars, have always been and will always be a part of human history. It's an expression of man's fallenness. Read James 4. And it will continue to be true until the end of human history. Verse 8, Jesus continues, For nation will rise against nation. Until the end of this age, there will be wars between individual nations. And there will be wars between kingdoms, kingdom against kingdom, large empires fighting with other large, powerful empires. It's going to happen. So wars and rumors of wars are not a clear sign that marks the end. Instead, they will mark the entire age in which we live. There's a third sign Jesus identifies. It's natural disasters. Look at the second half of verse 8. There will be earthquakes in various places, and there will also be famines. Earthquakes in various places. From the USGS website, the geological services here in the States, they estimate that several million earthquakes occur in the world each year. Several million each year. Many go undetected because they hit remote areas or have very small magnitudes. But every year, on average, 165 major earthquakes above 0.6 on the Richter scale rock this planet. And every year, at least one greater than eight on the Richter scale strike the planet. I was 
really shocked to discover as I was doing a little research on this, on their website, that twice in the last 10 years, two times in the last 10 years, the annual death toll from earthquakes has been in one case greater than 200,000 people and in another year greater than 325,000 people. The earth violently shakes as the tectonic plates that make up its crust collide and shift. (laughs) When Sheila and I lived in California, not liking earthquakes, we were raised in the south, moved out there, that's not my favorite thing. Of course, you know, I know God's in control and we're good with that, but I'd rather know what's coming and have a chance to, you know, prepare myself rather than be awakened at 4.19 a.m. with a major earthquake. But but after the, the Northridge quake hit and we had a lot of damage in our little townhome, we had, I think, $10,000 worth of damage just inside our little townhome. And um, after that, we decided to protest. So we got shirts that we finally stopped wearing because no one got them. The shirt said, stop plate tectonics. But think about that for a moment. Earthquakes, Jesus says, will become an increasing reality as this decaying planet groans under the curse that it's been subjected to. Verse 8 says there will also be famines. In a normal year, just in an average year, about 25,000 people die every day of hunger or hunger-related causes, according to the United Nations website. That's one person every three and a half seconds. This too will increase as we approach the end. Luke adds one other natural disaster in Luke 21.11. There will be in various places plagues. The Greek word describes a fatal epidemic disease. Like the bubonic plague that swept Europe and the world in the 14th century and killed a hundred million people. Between 30 and 60 percent of the population of Europe died. If you want an interesting read, and my kids still give me a hard time about reading this on vacation, but there's a book called The Great Influenza. It documents the influenza epidemic that occurred during the First World War. Most people really lost sight of it because of the World War. But during the First World War, there was a great influenza epidemic that went to pneumonia, and went to pneumonia quickly. It's estimated that 50 to 100 million people died, five to ten times more than died during the First World War, during the battles. You know, in our pride, the modern world thinks it's essentially put an end to such epidemics. But from time to time, we're reminded that we're not without being affected by that. And in fact, Jesus implies that such plagues will actually increase in frequency and in intensity. But notice what Jesus says about all these things, the end of verse 8. These things are merely the beginning of, of birth pangs. Wow, think about that for a moment. Everything Jesus mentions in these verses that we have studied together have occurred from his ascension until now, and they will continue to occur in increasing waves of intensity until the tribulation period and through the tribulation period. 
But what has already happened and what will happen in our world until that seven-year tribulation begins are not even real contractions. The wars, the rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the famines, the plagues that have already occurred, and those that are yet to occur before the tribulation comes are best likened to Braxton Hicks contractions. They are not signs of the end. They are not even signs of the beginning of the end. They are simply reminders that one day the same events will occur in much greater frequency and much greater intensity. Then and only then will be the beginning of the real birth pangs. Lane, a commentator on this passage, writes, Jesus' word provided assurance that these events fall within the purpose of God Their task, the disciples' task, is to be vigilant so as not to be led astray and to refuse to be disturbed by contemporary events which are in God's control. I just want to challenge you. How do we respond to what our Lord has shared here? It's heavy, isn't it? I mean, it's it's not fun. It's not pleasing to think about, but this is the reality. This is what our Lord said was coming. How do we respond to that? First of all, don't be surprised. These things will continue to happen. And don't be surprised if they increase in intensity and frequency. That's what our Lord said would happen. Secondly, don't be afraid. God is on his throne. This is his world. This is my father's world. He will do what he has determined to do. Nothing will happen outside of his great sovereign eternal purpose So Jesus says, don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. God is on his throne. Jesus said this would happen. Thirdly, don't be deceived. Don't let some signs of the time preacher start connecting the events that are happening with the end of the world because we can't know for sure. These things will happen. They happened Since Jesus left, they will continue to happen until the end, and we can't know exactly when the end comes. But that leads us to the fourth, don't be unprepared. Don't be unprepared. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, read the last part of this chapter where we're told to be prepared. We're going to get there. If you're not a Christian, if it's you sit here tonight, you have never come to a place in your own life where you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, I plead with you, don't face the future that Jesus himself predicted unprepared. He will make these things happen. I plead with you to acknowledge him as your Lord. Bow your knee to him, accept him as Savior and Lord before the end begins. Don't be unprepared. The question for you tonight is, are you truly right with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Jesus says, these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of The Future According to Jesus. Join us next time for part seven as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. 
And Tom, thinking about these future events might be disconcerting, to say the least, for some. How should the words of Jesus bring comfort? You know, the primary reason that it brings us comfort is because it reminds us that the events are not unfolding randomly, that somebody is in control, that our God is sovereign over all of these things, and that we can simply remind ourselves that we're not driving the bus. Our Lord's driving the bus, and we can either remind ourselves that He has both a destination and a route in mind, and we can sit back and enjoy the journey, or we can hold on to the seat in front of us with white bare knuckles. But either way, we're going to get to the same destination using the same route that He's already determined. And so it brings comfort to us to know that we can sit back and trust our God because he has a certain future for us and for this planet. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.